Brace yourselves for a noble horror, because the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program has returned! Yes, Nerdy Show's beloved RPG audio drama of black comedy and Lovecraftian horror is back with an all-new series, a chilling tale called The Terrible Secret of Lot X. Head to CthulhuMystery.com or find the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program wherever you procure fine podcasts. Succumb to the maddening call of Cthulhu. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a ridiculous and rollicking journey into the fiefdom of geekdom in the land of nerdery, where anything can happen, and it usually does. For instance, it could be that this episode of Nerdy Show is in fact an all-caps episode. Hi, I'm Cap. Almost ten years ago, I co-founded the Nerdy Show Network with several other schlubs. Yeah, that's right, I said ten years ago, and that's, uh, the, oh boy, let me look at my watch. Oh shit, that's coming up soon. On January 14th. It will have been officially 10 years since the first broadcast of a show called Nerdy Show featuring myself, Triforce Mike, John Hex Carter, and the sort of Pete Best of the group, Aaron Holland. We go over all of our history in an uh, earlier episode of Nerdy Show, which I'll link to on this episode's page. But the short version is it started as a radio program, which was also broadcast to the internet, and eventually distributed as podcasts. We jumped off the radio in only a few months' time after having a surprising early swell of success and uh, stayed on the internet thereafter. This is the first podcast of 2019. And let me just tell you, it's been a spotty and crazy time getting here. You know, at the end of the year, and the beginning of the year, um, everyone's always like, hey, oh, how was your holiday? How was New Year's? How was everything? And, uh, you know, the days were fine. Uh, I hung out with Bor and Brandon and Denica, mostly, if you're curious. We were all orphaned in, uh, in, in Orlando together, not going out to different places other than each other's homes <laughs> and playing a lot of Smash Brothers. But, you know, uh, I, I, I'd be like, oh, it's good. It's good. But, but if they're a close friend, I'll tell them, oh, it was a hot mess. Let me tell you, it was, it was a wreck. And it's not done being a wreck. 2018 was a crazy year. I was running both the Nerdy Show Network and then also started running the Consequence Podcast Network for Consequence of Sound. And I knew that that was going to be an ordeal. What I didn't anticipate was how much of an ordeal it was going to be by the end of the year, where we were simultaneously debuting the new series of The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program on Nerdy Show, and also, out of the blue, doing a uh, series with Sony called The Opus over on Consequence Podcast Network. So far, both have turned out great, but an already extraordinarily busy time of the year was just absolutely crushing. <laughs> And it hasn't subsided. Now, I hate being a Debbie Downer. And if your name is Debbie, is that hard for you, being named Debbie with the term Debbie Downer getting flashed around? Am I being insensitive towards you? Write in and let me know. All Caps episodes, if you haven't tuned into one of these before, are, um, well, they're a mixed bag, but they kind of edge on a little bit of personal diary from me, the uh, lone oldest surviving member of the original Nerdy Show crew, the figurehead of the network, the lone person who does this full-time. And I know that this feed, the Nerdy Show feed, 
the feed featuring our titular podcast that started it all, has become in many ways a sort of utility for communicating directly to you, the people who've been around a long time, or in general are most connected to us, the people who make the podcasts. If you're new, well, hey, welcome. This is a uh, this is odd. Uh, check out uh, Nerdy Show's Greatest Hits. There's a lot of different kinds of things that we've done over the years, and uh, I assure you, it's fascinating. We've thrown a lot around to see what sticks to the walls, um, but it has always been a fun journey. Anyway, circling back, it's been a time, and so for those of you who are aware of our general ebb and flow of how we do things, there's probably some stuff you were anticipating. If you're on the Nerdy Show Lounge hanging out and we're well aware of this approaching anniversary, uh, you may be wondering, what are we going to do for that? You know what? I'm wondering that too. Still not figured that out. Um, you may also be wondering, what about the top 20 nerdy things of the year? The, the thing that you folks have been doing since the very beginning, arbitrarily ranking a bunch of things that have no business being ranked together solely by the amorphously defined nerdy qualities therein. Unfortunately, uh, we, didn't, we didn't do it. I, I was compiling a spreadsheet all year long, but no, it was it was too busy to work into the end of the year. Um, I mean, this isn't just about me. This is the the whole staff at large. We've been pulled in a great many directions in our lives, and that's just the nature of the beast. Truth be told, what I wanted to do is I wanted to do this as one last top twenty nerdy things of the year, which we also call our final boss episodes of the year, and then do a final final boss episode, which would in turn create a top twenty list of all of our prior ten top twenty lists best 20 out of 100 over the past decade of things that we deemed nerdy, which I still, I mean, I want to do it. It sounds fun as hell, but also we then have, would have to retroactively do 2018. And like, folks, I haven't even seen Spider-Man yet. Like, everyone's telling me this movie is like the greatest thing. Max Acree, uh, one of our Lightning Dogs designers, says it's the Akira of 3D animation. Whoa. I mean, that's crazy. I, I mean, I, I really want to see it, but times are tight. I mean, even recording this is, is uh dubious at best. I probably would do better to just not let something come out, but I, I wanted to. I mean, I, there's a lot, I do a lot of things because I want to. It's a privilege, and I, and I don't take it for granted. But also, <laughs> I pay the price. So anyway, why are we here? We're here because I'm going to share with you some odds and sods in my brain. For instance, there were some comic books that I uh, meant to talk about on a Nerdy Show episode several, several episodes ago, and, uh, and then they just didn't happen. I forgot, and and it slipped out, but, like, I know that our comic-themed episodes don't particularly track well. It seems to be more of a flame-on listener base interest thing, but trust me on this. These are very much worthy of your attention. First is a book called Die by Kieran Gillen, who you might know from Wicked and Divine or Phonogram or Darth Vader or Dr. Afra, or quite a lot of awesome stuff. He created Kid Loki. Die is based on, in its simplest form, its, its gestational idea was... Remember the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon where those kids were just whisked away into a medieval fantasy world? What if that really happened? What if some kids were actively, like, you know, abducted, let's say, by mystical forces, pulled from their own reality, and forced to become their characters? Like, it's all fun and games when it's a game. But what then? What if, while playing D&D, I became the salacious and scaled Jamela Dalla Egbert III, Mistress of the Steam Tunnels? Might not be the worst. But think of all the STDs she has. I mean, they don't keep it wrapped up back then. And I'd like to think I can navigate a cloaca, but there might be a learning curve. Some folks have it easy. They get an upgrade. Some folks don't have it so easy. So this book is a, uh, a grim, grim, grim take on that premise. And in it, a bunch of kids disappear in 1991. They show up a little while later, having gone through a terrible ordeal. 
uh, attempt to readjust <laughs> to their lives after after one of them like has like, comes back having lost an arm. One of them comes back having been biologically female when they weren't previously, and they all endured some horrible, horrifying things because it's a medieval fantasy world. So they live their lives, they struggle with whatever PTSD and coping mechanisms and so on and so forth, and then they get pulled back in. And it's it's fascinating. This is not your typical medieval fantasy setting. This isn't rat queens with a different premise. This is some wonderfully unusual takes on the role-playing tropes that we know and love. For instance, there's a, a cleric who is an atheist, and the way that the cleric operates here sort of takes the, the idea that, well, clerics commune with deities to get things done, to create miracles and so on. And how is that any different from a demonologist? So there's a different kind of relationship that happens here between the caster cleric and the deities that they're coming in contact with. There's also a thing called a neo, which is like a cyberpunk character in a medieval fantasy setting. Someone who's got cybernetics in them, but those cybernetics are like tied to some kind of like fairy magic that has a price. So you have to pay up. You put some gold into a thing in, in your body and uh, boom, you're super powered, but only until the end of the day. And then you are looking for a fix. You are essentially a junkie. And there's lots of fascinating thought that goes into this book. In fact, I recommend buying it in issues rather than waiting for the collections. Because there is back matter that is very fascinating, like the characters, all their archetypes play with a different sided die, and which die they play with has a parallel to the scope and nature of their classes. And I have no assurances that any of these ponderings will end up in a collection. But for those of you who really love story crafting or game design or just general kind of game theory stuff, you know, I mean, role playing is a coalescing of all these different properties. If you love not even just the nuts and bolts of role playing, but the heart of role playing and the history and mystique of role playing, there is a wealth of very unique musings on the nature of the beast in the back matter for the book Die by Kieran Gillen, which is out now. There's two issues out. Get them if you can. Next up is a book called La Guardia by Nieri Okorafor, whose name hopefully I've said correctly. It's a story about immigration in a futuristic setting, an Afrofuturism story, where the state of affairs in Nigeria was elevated by it being sort of a first contact point for aliens and became an international gateway for extraterrestrial species interacting with Earth. It's funny, it's weird, it's kind of like what if the Men in Black universe was sort of like, uh, not secret? And in this, it studies the nature of immigration, of people traveling back and forth between countries and getting frisked and the, the preposterous nature of it when they profile people but ignore things that they really should be paying attention to. Like great sci-fi, it is very of the time and then also is resplendent with social commentary and ideas that are a bit beyond the time. Before I go on, I do want to give a shout out to the fine people who make Nerdy Show possible, and that is you. Hopefully, you're listening. Since the debut of the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program Series 2, we have had a steady influx of new patrons, which is very exciting, and I am so thrilled uh, that you folks have joined up to help us produce this show. It is very expensive and very time-consuming, and our hearts are very much in it, so the support to make this dream a reality, uh, to push us into the direction that is really, I mean, no surprise there— our audio dramas have always been very much the fan favorites and very much the favorite things that we do. So that is the focus of where Nerdy Show as a network, as a production house, is heading. And we could not even remotely begin to do it without our listener support, which has always been 
the only thing that has kept us going all this time, truly. If it weren't for you, this would have been a definably bad idea. So I want to give a shout out to new patrons, Mick Shouten, Jeffrey Sumler, Elf84, Philip S. Garcia, Dustin, and a new producer here at Nerdy Show, Aaron Ramsey. Also, a big, big thanks to Jamieson Lalone, who offered us two, that's right, two donations of a sizable nature via the one-time donation tool at nerdyshow.com support. I should back up and say that if you would like to become a patron, just go to patreon.com nerdyshow. We have a number of perks. We have a number of tiers such as the $20 and $50 tier where you become an executive producer and will find yourself credited in shows like the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. So Jameson wrote in and said, Hey Cap, I'm well past my due date for a one-time donation and shout-out. I love what you and Colin are doing for the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Need to point out that the all-caps episodes were great! Oh man! Cool! (laughs) And I continue to lurk in Roosevelt when I can. Keep being the amazing people that you are. And remember, kids, hashtag HowlNoise, hashtag always be lurking, hashtag always be Roosevelting. Jameson also requested a shout-out for Lil Brother and his Lil Offspring, who he won't describe as a tenderfoot, for their birthdays, which were in December. Happy belated birthdays, folks. And thank you so much, Jameson. This support is absolutely amazing. You single-handedly funded a massive chunk of the uh, the new music that we got for Call of Cthulhu after the series started. Colin and I sort of, you know, we decided how much we wanted to spend, and then midway through the series, we decided we wanted to spend a little bit more. We are going to go crazy, but we, we wanted some tunes to help further diversify the scenes that we ended up building, and you, combined with all of these amazing folks supporting us on Patreon, all made that possible. It's absolutely wonderful to have you folks with us. And there are still many changes afoot, but I don't want my mouth to write checks that it can't cash. What you should know is that, like I said, there is a real emphasis on the continued production of audio drama and our expertise as producers of that content. We are developing projects that potentially extend outside of the Nerdy Show network, even, in terms of distribution. They're big opportunities with no guarantees, just our attempt to uh, take everything we've learned through all these years and make even bigger, better, more exciting, cool, dark, and yes, always nerdy shows that tell cool and unique stories. And I'm, I'm, really, I'm really glad that, uh, that All Caps delighted, and uh, hopefully this one will too. It's, I mean, th- there isn't much to it, but it definitely has a different vibe. <laughs> I do think it's very important to communicate to everyone who takes the time to listen and to share what I can that I normally wouldn't in a in regular format show. You know, it's different. So let's make it different. Before I carry on, remember, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That's still a relevant thing to do. And rate and review us on Podchaser as well, where you can target specific episodes. You can say, this episode of All Caps was the best one yet, or it was a steaming turd. That's fine, too. I respect your opinions. And also, if you haven't, please do consider rating and reviewing our other series. Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program does get a fair amount of traction here and there, but uh, based on Apple's algorithms... If we can get over 200 ratings and or reviews for that series, we will be more on the radar than ever before in terms of the number one marketplace for people discovering podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Right now, last I checked, we're at 66. So not exactly halfway, but not exactly rock bottom either. We could really use the support there. It's pretty clear that's 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 the big thing we're doing right now. That's that's the focus. Oh, and and if you haven't heard, if you're not listening to that series, uh, one you should because 
uh, I think it's great. <laughs> I had a lot of fun doing it. And it's uh, it's the biggest production we've ever done by, by, a, by a long shot. But also, we have already recorded Series 3. That happened. That happened in the middle of recording Series 2. We haven't really had uh, that kind of momentum on a show in a while, but we're trying to do things differently here. And no, we won't be able to pick up with Series 3 as soon as Series 2 ends. And no, we kind of had hoped to stick something in the interim between those two things, but that's not going to happen. I need a little bit of a recovery period, to be quite frank. Um, we'll see how it goes. That probably won't happen either. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Everything's great. I lead a charmed life. I can't complain. I'm just really tired. <laughs> Here's another reason I'm really tired. I've been fostering kittens. If my performance in Call of Cthulhu Series 2 wasn't indication enough, I am a lifelong cat person. And recently my partner started working at an animal shelter. Uh, and it's it's a kill shelter, as is necessitated by the fact that, you know, in Florida, we have a lot of dogs and cats who don't have a, the seasonal die out in the winter. They live and they thrive and some thrive too much. And we end up with overcrowded shelters. So it just so happens every now and then someone will be like, hey, uh, there's there's a kitten here who's under two pounds, otherwise a completely fine, totally healthy kitten because they will require us to feed them and give them more attention at a greater rate than we can possibly afford while taking care of all these other cats and dogs, they're going to be put down at the end of the night unless someone fosters them who wants it. And ideally, we'll live in a world without kill shelters, but I just want to emphasize that there is a real necessity for this kind of draconian practice. It sucks. It's awful. And there's a lot of things you can do. Like, for example, if you find a stray cat, Maybe leave them outside. Maybe let them thrive in the outdoors. But, but you could, you could trap and release. That is viable. But if you bring a cat to the shelter, you are potentially participating in an overcrowding scenario. Anyway, it's a very complicated industry. I digress. So we're fostering some kittens. We'd fostered one kitten solo, and now we're fostering four siblings, two boys, two girls. And they're wonderful. Really, really wonderful, boisterous, stripy gray and white cats but recently one of them just stopped eating and drinking and we don't know why her name's Sorsha and uh we're doing everything we can to uh to take care of her which includes uh staying up with her all night and sleeping on the bathroom floor where we've got her separate from everybody else and um ruthlessly violating her personal space by shoving things in her mouth that she doesn't want to eat drugging her up with antihistamine pills to boost her appetite it's a complicated process, and trust me, it is being overseen by physicians who have recommendations, but kitten mortality is a very uh, tricky thing. And anyway, I'm not actually sure how I got on this, but uh, there's a good chance we might end up keeping Sorsha if she survives, and she will. Anyway, that's exactly the kind of wonderful, sad, personal shit that you can expect from all caps. What a fun show. Yay. Um, here's something else I'm doing. I'm working with a friend of mine on a zine. I'm a multidisciplinary artist. If you know me as podcasts, there's a lot of other stuff I do. I did a lot of other things before podcasting in terms of like aptitudes and skills and so on. Things that I've been passionate about since I was a child. So I get to use them in my jobs, but I don't get to use them for myself often. Lightning Dogs is perhaps the one thing that coalesces all of the things that are me into one space, or at least most of the things that are me. It's still a collaborative 
effort, of course. But doing the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program has been really invigorating because after we recorded, I did do a lot of auxiliary writing. I've created uh, new scenes to help uh, increase the uh, character development so things land better. So, so it just feels like a fuller storytelling experience. So you can have all the fun and mayhem of the improvised storytelling that role-playing creates and then also ensure that it has all the moments that you would expect if it was a scripted show as well. So this is the first time in a long time that I've let myself go down some rabbit holes. And we'll see. We're very early into the process. But working with her on this project, my friend uh, Ashley Belanger, working with her on this zine, it's already dug up a bunch of really wonderful stuff from my mind and from my past. And I'm really excited at what it could turn out to be because there's a lot of different ways it could go. All of them good, but all of them very different. Ashley is a person of note. She does incredible work. If you search her name, one of the first things you'll find is a series of articles she did for... um, Teen Vogue about child marriages and all the problems surrounding that in America, a multi-part series exploring just the archaic laws that are still in place and the realities that I think exclusively young women have to deal with in uh, (laughs) places where that's a thing that happens. And it's more of them than you would think. But she also is an absolutely wonderful writer of fiction and poetry and uh, has produced a number of zines, which I'll link to on this episode's page where you can pick them up. One that might be of particular interest is her most recent work. It's called Wonder Wonder, and most of the zine is occupied by a short story that is about a near-future world where increased time in front of tablet screens has caused many people to suffer a variety of different hallucinatory symptoms, so much so that it's like a national epidemic, and society and industry has shifted itself around people who are oftentimes crippled by these hallucinations which can be delightful or horrifying and that the insular nature of modern society for these people has become even more insular and caused them to live their lives in drastically different ways. It's informed by a lot of real world hallucinatory symptoms that people can experience for a variety of reasons. I was really taken by the very unique premise and world that she created which is dangerous and mysterious. And also, she's a really amazing mixed-media artist. She does felt art. And if you look at the cover to Wonder Wonder, it's this beautiful hallucinatory thing of, like, of various cars and eyes and lights and patterns. And it's all done with stitches and felt. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, I'm so excited to do a split zine with her. So our theme is sacred spaces, which can manifest in a lot of different ways. For me, the first thing I went to are shopping malls. And I don't know if I've ever gone on about that on Nerdy Show at all. My deep affinity for shopping malls and the way that shopping malls tend to manifest in my dreams and the way that I feel that shopping malls and their architecture in general, particularly ones from the 70s and 80s, all have sort of a dreamlike construction. There's lots of dead ends. There's lots of places that go nowhere. There's lots of like light and darkness. Some of my best early memories and most vivid and also dreamlike early memories from my childhood are of being in shopping malls and the the process of shopping of wish fulfillment of going in there and and discovering something new and not knowing what you're looking for and and having things change there's so many layers to it and I could go on and fill an entire podcast just talking about this but I'm very excited at the prospect of exploring this because I've invested a lot of my personal time over the years in exploring the the nature of shopping malls and musing on this thing that sort of became an obsession of mine because I realized how much my subconscious was fundamentally drawn to this and how I was captivated by the beauty of the architecture like some malls are drab some malls are charmingly drab but some malls some very rare and precious malls are 
literally like palaces from a dream. And uh, the one in particular, which no longer exists, it was called the Plantation Fashion Mall in Plantation, Florida. It was built preposterously across the street from a more successful mall in the late 80s. And the Plantation Fashion Mall was a three-story tall, luxurious, glass-domed beacon. I've described it in the past as like the cloud city of shopping malls. It's just beautiful. When I was in college... The mall had been closed down, and I contacted the owners about uh, about going inside and officially photo documenting it. In the years that passed, a lot of people had come in and uh, and done their own uh, dead mall spelunking illegally. But I actually contacted the people. I got permission. I went in with John West, and we took a bunch of photos and video and and captured the interior. I'll link to them on this episode's page. You'll see what I mean. It's it's a very unique space, and there's a lot of charm there and a lot of stories. True and imaginary, but it leaves room for the imaginary. So that's just one of the facets of things that, I, that I, I'm going to be tackling in my portion of Ashley and I's split zine. Preemptively, I'm talking about it so soon. I, 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 this, this might be a mistake, but who knows? But coming out of that, I wanted to share something with you that's rather unusual. It's a piece of fan fiction that I wrote with Local Shop, who you might know as um, one of the artists who works on Lightning Dogs. Two of our favorite fictional characters from the 90s, who are artists, are Judy Funny from Doug and Maud Lebowski from The Big Lebowski. They're both redheads. They have a similar haircut. They're both very pretentious, but in a charming way. And these women were deeply influential to us both. I mean, if you've listened to Nerdcasting the Multiverse, you've heard me do my uh, Judy Funny art podcast thing. The first and only time I ever cosplayed at San Diego Comic-Con was as her. But a couple years ago, I... Watched every single episode of Doug, both the Nickelodeon years and the much maligned but actually quite good Disney years for a project that I still intend to do and when it does come out in podcast form, if I get around to it and I desperately want to because I took a lot of notes, it will come out as a nerdy show episode. So my head was swimming with all this like Doug lore. I even bought a a Disney era Doug series manual. I forget what the actual technical term is, but it has features like all the maps of the town of Bluffington and all this other detail. And it's a fascinating show. Revolutionary. So... We wanted to see what would happen when these two fictional artist women who we love so much, what would happen if they crossed paths? What would that look like? So in the Disney years, there were several all-Judy episodes, and they were amazing. I can't really overstate how in love I was with her whole vibe. I really wanted to be Judy Funny, and it took me a long time to realize I could be Judy Funny or, like, you know, a serviceable, like, not-quite-so-pretentious Judy Funny. And now, you know, that's a portion of the truth that I'm living now, and I'm very, I'm very grateful to her for it. So anyway, we RP'd. We got in our emails and we bounced back and forth and we role-played this meeting between Judy and Maud. And the reason I bring this up in relation to my work with Ashley is that we're hoping to do a piece where we're going to collaborate in that same way, which is something that Ashley hadn't done before. And the way that I role-play in text is lots of paragraphs, lots of flow, and Local Shop and I just love to have fun with characters, love to explore the truth of a character beyond the context that they're presented in. And I thought it'd be fun to share here on all caps because I, I haven't really ever shared anything like this before on Nerdy Show. And if we've done our job right, then even though we were role playing two sides of this, it'll coalesce in a way that makes it hard to determine who did what and all just flows together as one story. To say it was liberating to be free from the yoke and yokels of Bluffington was an understatement. Judy Funny's formative years at the Moody School was an oasis amidst the bumper sticker capital of the world. But she had quickly outgrown its confines. At Vol, she could thrive in the collegiate environment and flex her creative muscles to the fullest. 
Nothing outside of a surprise visit from her family at a recital could cramp Judy's bold new level of expression. Fortunately, the long drive, plus her baby sister, would provide more than enough barriers to keep the funny family at bay. Yes, Judy was flying solo at Vol. None of her classmates from Moody made it in. She could reinvent herself here, and it was a good thing, too. Judy wasn't used to feeling outclassed, but amidst the raw talent on parade at Vol's performing arts department, she was no longer a big fish in a small pond. Though she knew her own raw creativity was enough, she couldn't help feeling the need to prove herself, make her mark on the venerable institution, and win the hearts of her peers. So began her filth series. Turning against her previous methods, Judy abandoned the larger-than-life props that had been a hallmark of her earlier work and focused on more intimate methods. She honed her mime. Clothed in nothing but bluffco bumper stickers, she scurried through the corridors, mute and blind. She painted with every part of her body but her hands, using pigments mixed with spit and snot. It was a trying time, and Judy couldn't tell if she was digging deeper into her artistic soul or pushing farther away from it. She was making uncomfortable work, and from that discomfort, she had a breakthrough. Alone, in her dorm room, Judy consoled her cramping abdomen and considered the prospects of working with her menses. Was it too obvious? It had certainly been done many times before. She caught her ghostly reflection in the window, the bright of her room against the bleak, rainy day. Her bedroom at home was pink, a girlish boudoir, a child's bedroom. It hadn't reflected her external self-expression for years, but remained a part of her. Outside, she was image. In the confines of her suburban home, she was complacent. The dorm bedroom was robin's egg blue. Stark, her posters from home, remained rolled. Scraps, canvases, and blue voids. Who was this cramping, greasy, filth? The only comfort food on hand was a can of SpaghettiOs, the result of her own penny-pinching. Judy had forgotten how much she hated them. She was in no mood to go to the common area and socialized and heated the can with a hairdryer. It worked too well. The hot can scalded Judy's hand, the vibrant red tomato sauce splattering her stomach, her thighs, and across the unstretched canvas laying on the floor. In a rage, she flung herself into the mess, rolling and flailing her body in the sauce, pasta, taking out her tampon and furiously flinging it against the white, punching and smearing her redness. If this was her art, then it would also be her rage. Exhausted and aching, Judy rose, mad about the shitty food, mad about her aching guts, mad about her disenchantment with her own work, herself, mad at the freakish mess she made. It was either her finest piece in months or the worst. Either way, Judy hated it. Dirt is all around us. Everything is shit, she murmured, feeling pasta o's ooze down her leg. The resulting performance was much simpler, but required Judy breach new territory. She'd never done any nude work with such a big audience, and she'd never exposed herself so lewdly. It was only after she'd finished sucking the pasta sauce from her fingertips that she realized Maud Lebowski was in the audience. Judy was only vaguely aware of Lebowski in the art world, but as a female multidisciplinary artist, she was enough to intrigue. Judy had attended Maud's lecture earlier in the day and left in awe, inspired. She was still uncertain where her own art was, but she felt more comfortable about where it was going, and the intimate, vaginal aspect of her latest piece felt more valid than anything else that had come from filth. Maud, on the other hand, hadn't been expecting to be impressed when she visited Vol. There were few glimmers of hope for the future of the art world to be found in such clean, polished surroundings. She wanted something raw and honest, and this was so 
middle class. It wasn't until she saw Judy Funny perform that she was interested at all. Her work was bordering on amateur, but filled with a genuine charm and far more evocative than anyone else's at the institution. She never considered the concept of SpaghettiOs being used in such a metaphorical sense before. Yes, there was something there, a flame worth examining at closer proximity. Judy left the spotlight buzzed, but wearing her best, somber expression. She stepped with a tipsy gait from the performance space, dragging a red finger streak along the gallery's bright white wall. Sorry I missed the show. It was Alicia, a perpetually stoic art punk with a reverse mullet. It made an impression. Oh yeah, replied Judy, trying to play it blasé. She'd just come from the green room shower and didn't expect anyone. Mm. Alicia handed Judy a folded piece of paper. Judy tucked her towel tight and unfolded the letter. Judith, I'm not often surprised. Accommodations have been made for me at the guest villa of the Dean's Manor through tomorrow morning. I've told the gate to show you in. If this is short notice, I can be reached at the following address, though it may take some time for response as I'm presenting in Basel through the following week. Regards, Maud Lebowski. Judy got dressed promptly and left out the back of the gallery. She briefly stressed at the thought of doubling back to her dorm room for something else to wear, but settled on her regular attire. Be honest. Be centered. At the Dean's Manor, the gateman led her behind the stately red brick colonial building to a quaint bungalow sequestered in the rear garden. And as she approached, Judy saw an illuminated glass of wine float through a shaft of light. So glad you've come. Judy smiled nervously. Maud stood in the doorway, looking over the young woman's beatnik-esque attire. Sunglasses at night, oh youth. Maud had a reputation for being brusque and hard. And that wasn't entirely unfounded. But those who experienced the harshest aspect of her personality were those who she would consider outsiders. Newscasters, low-level critics, the papers. Maud showed a much softer side to those she considered her friends, or worthy peers, at the very least. There was room for Miss Funny to be either. With a simple motion, she gestured her in. Would you like a drink? Stepping into the light of the villa, Judy now got a clearer look at Maud. A loose white shirt and black silk pants, tall leather boots. Certainly, Judy chirped, perhaps too eager. She was 18, but wine was nothing new to her. From snuck pubescent sips at Grandma Opal's to late nights with Cassius and Serenity, and those weeks with Flounder who was kind enough not to ask her age. But being offered a drink, as an adult, with no other thought given, that was new, and it was gratifying. When it came to performances, Judy was dauntless, unflinching. But at the threat of her very self being on display, Judy's facade dithered. Something about this woman was so commanding. She wanted Maud to like her. She'd hid herself beneath an act before, and the results were mixed, to say the least. She'd let her idol, Gwen Gauntlet, walk all over her by being too sheepish. No, this would be the new Judy, the real Judy. Be honest, be centered. Judy graciously took a very full glass of red. I was surprised to get your letter. Your presentation was very inspiring. There was a silence. She nervously filled it. I'm flattered you enjoyed my piece. It's only natural I enjoy it. It was quite inspired. Refreshingly different from a lot of the fledgling work I've seen lately. Well, thank you for saying so. Judy sipped tentatively. Maud had done her best to make this temporary abode feel more like home, but mostly that entailed taking the less than enthralling art off the walls and hiding it in the closet. Bare walls, she found, inspired an ache to fill them. Hmm. What do you want to achieve with your art, Judith? A platitude-laden monologue welled up, but Judy paused. She took a breath, inviting herself to remain bare. I'm in a transitional phase at the moment. I, I guess you could say I'm finding my way to something new. Testing my threshold. 
she leaned on the arm of a pleather couch. Most of my earlier work was about perspective and scale, truth under magnification. My more recent projects at Vol have been more deconstructivist and intimate, but she realized she hadn't answered the question and hadn't really answered it for herself either. The only object hanging on the sparse wall was a decorative mirror. Judy caught a glimpse of herself. Maud was reflected over her shoulder. Stripping away preconceptions and mundane edifices to bring people face to face with truth, beautiful or grotesque, if I can make them feel their own wounds, and in beholding them, they find the means to sew themselves back up. Her words shook with a dramatic gravity, surprising herself with a thesis she didn't know she had, and then delightedly turned chipper. Then I've done my job. How noble an aim that is. I find the truth of oneself to be a subject that's always changing, ever surprising to an audience. Maud drank and thought for a moment, looking Judy over. Judith, have you ever considered an apprenticeship under an established artist? Judy choked mid-sip. Moi? Well, I never considered the possibility, actually. But that would be thrilling. She couldn't downplay it. Her exuberance showed. Was Maud Lebowski proposing to take her under her wing? Even if she ended up with one of Maud's associates, it was still an exciting prospect. It's a trying experience, Maud said airily. But it is worth it, to be vouched for by someone with the right sort of reputation. She set her now empty glass on the table beside the bottle. Her lead was obvious, but also ambiguous. Intent in plain view, but undeclared. Judy sensed an invite to prove her worth. And she could work with that. She was an actor, of course. Sounds like you know firsthand. Did you study under someone? Maud looked thoughtful for a moment, wondering whether to tell. I was an apprentice once, she said plainly, and motioned for Judy to follow her down the hallway. Valentina Tuncianova, do you know her? I don't. Brilliant, but woefully overlooked. A Siberian performance artist. A shaman who danced interpretively the stories of her people. I performed with her, a piece called Biatu, the story of a woman mating with a bear. Maud smiled at Judy, mostly in wry amusement at herself, that she ever found that folktale as exciting as she had. But it was. Being Valentina's bear made it exciting. Judy, still nursing her wine, followed Maud toward the back of the house. That sounds fascinating. There's not much in the way of pre-colonial heritage where I grew up. Exploring tribal practices firsthand would be thrilling. I have been planning a pilgrimage to Nepal. There was a thoughtful pause. It would be asking too much to invite you along, wouldn't it? It would uproot your studies. Maud, that would be absolutely amazing to experience such rich and vibrant culture. Composure, Judy, composure. I I'm flattered. To be honest, and I kind of feel foolish about this, but I fought hard to get into this college, and now that I'm here, I can't shake the feeling that I've just traded one confinement for another. Maud smiled wryly, pleased that her instincts were sharp as ever. So yes, if you're certain that she'd have me, yes, that sounds like true artistic education. Mm. When my plans are finalized, you'll be the first to know. The gravity of all this wasn't lost on Judy. She touched Maud's forearm, not sure how much affection, if any, the artist could take. Considering that she may have overstepped, she withdrew her touch, but kept close. I I'm truly honored that my piece spoke to you enough that you'd consider me for something like this. Maud looked as casual as if she'd simply offered to buy Judy lunch. Think nothing of it. This will be good for the both of us. Judy sat down her empty glass on the floor of the bare room, realizing now that they were in a makeshift studio space. A rather threadbare one, a few buckets of paint, rolls of butcher paper and boxes of notebooks, some written in but many blank. There was a camera and some lights, all simply to record inspiration if it struck, sketches to be the foundation of serious work later. She scanned the contents of the room, wondering if she could decipher what Maud intended to work on. 
At first glance, it was just tools waiting for purpose, but there must be more. The camera and lights were pointed at a blank wall next to which were the rolls of paper. There was painter's tape nearby. She nudged the roll of paper with her foot. Getting ready for some large-scale abstractions? I've been dabbling with some notions, but at the moment... She paused, lips pursing as she decided on her words. My body can't keep up with my mind. My arm cannot paint with the vigor of my imagination. Tell me about it. Lately, I've been pushing myself to see with immediacy, and all it's got me is thrashing around with paint in my body. I can never tell if I like what comes out of it. Do you paint with your naked form? <laughs> Judy let out an abrupt, too loud laugh, accompanied by a heavy blush. She'd shown the pieces, but she'd never been called upon to explain them. <laughs> yeah, a kind of a recent thing. It's invigorating. You should try a harness. The statement hung like a piano. Before Judy could commit to a mental image, Maud jumped ahead. What scale? Oh, rather small. I've only done that work in my bedroom. So modest. Not after tonight, I suppose. She'd considered taking her more expressive painting to one of the public studios. She even had a private cubicle, but private was subjective in those spaces. It wasn't modesty per se, but the work required a mood and a certain amount of spontaneity. Maud took the lens cap off the tripod-mounted camera. Would you indulge me, Judith? It was a genuine question, not a command from an authority figure dressed up as an inquiry. But also, Judy wagered it was a test. Could she work on her feet at the level that Maud Lebowski demanded? It was a terrifying and sincerely exciting prospect. If this was an audition, it was a part Judy was determined to get. Wordlessly, Judy took hold of a corner of the butcher paper and tape. She stood on a paint can, getting the paper as close to the ceiling as she could. As she worked, Maud took a few steps back and photographed her quietly, documenting the forthcoming piece's development. The small clicks, like the reassuring muttering of the audience before a performance. Proof of stakes, gravity, everything an artist needs to soar. The wall was covered, and so Judy went to work on the immediate floor. That was the most important part. Judy looked over the colors, lime green, red, yellow, royal blue. She cracked the paints open with a screwdriver. Then it was time to get to work. Off with the glasses, off with the beret. She undid her purple shirt, her plain bra, her leggings, and maroon thong. The camera came unmounted, gentle clicks slowly panning as Maud paced and observed. She didn't want to get too close and alter Judy's energy. She admired her lithe form backlit against the wall, lit with work lamps. If only there was music, but, oh well. Maud's presence made Judy's hair stand on end. Judy put her hand in the green and smeared it over her left breast. She dipped her foot in the yellow. Foot on the wall, hand on the ground breast kissing the paper, and so the dance began. Maud watched in reserved judgment a criticism, far from an easy practice for her, but Judy's naked poise, her truth, made it easy to simply absorb what she was doing, raw and beautiful. What Judy felt tonight wasn't rage. It was truly a dance, one that she was having with herself and who she wanted to be. She'd done a great many things within the scope of her suburban existence, but now it was time to be more. Her thoughts evoked large, sweeping motions, pooling the colors together and pushing them outwards. She was in the womb, then born again, fetal and rolling, only to spring, smearing and splattering paint against the wall. Her whole form was a glut of color, leaving full-body imprints. She used her tongue. In a way, she'd been making love with dance and paint, murmuring, sometimes screaming, sweating and moaning. Maud wasn't terribly surprised at what Judy was capable of in this differing medium. She'd seen similar passion in her prior performance, but the unexpected delight of such a fresh and uninhibited private display. She held the camera in front of her chest, short of breath. Wonderful. Judy rolled to a partial headstand facing the wall, folding slightly at her waist, the tips of her toes dotting yellow and red. 
Then her legs sprang outward, bringing her back flat against the floor. She turned on her belly and ground it into the surface, nuzzling, slithering forward. Pointed towards Maud now, she rose up in cobra pose, eyes closed. Judy's chest was a vomit of color. Wet skin remained was glossy with sweat. She grabbed her ankles, arcing to bow pose, and rocked on her abdomen. And release! She fanned her legs out and around, swooped her hands across the floor, collecting what paint there was. With a yelp, her upper body burst up, flinging the paint against the wall in a spray. The flame Maud hoped to witness. She could sense burning from her core, an emotional nature that she, in her structure, deeply admired. Judy's fingers scratched lines of paint. From her pelvis to her chest, she gripped and tugged on her nipples. Finding a new degree of sensation, she sucked breath in and drew her limbs to her like a dying bug. But in that moment, as her breath released, she remembered herself and realized she'd gone much further than she intended. Judy opened her eyes, and for the first time since she began, she looked at Maud. Maud was too transfixed at first to say anything, but when the word came out, it was low and breathy. Startling, Maud whispered. Remembering herself after a long silence, she took one last picture and set down the camera. It was going to be a good one. Judy spat terrible paint taste and colors, spinning around on the floor, witnessing her work for the first time. Maybe it was the scale, or maybe it was Maud inspiring her to look somewhere new to channel this energy. But for the first time since she dabbled in this frenzied style of painting, Judy liked what she saw. So that's that. No real plot, no real ending, just sort of a a character portrait that went as far as we wanted it to, letting us play around in their mutual headspaces and exploring aspects of the characters beyond the confines of where we knew them, which is one of the great joys of fan fiction. And that's where I'll leave this episode. It's been a very strange and meandering thing, but I suppose they all are. I feel like I might have started a subject only to divert without really filling in all the blanks, but Ooh, an air of mystery, I hope. (laughs) What comes next, frankly, I'm not really sure, but you will hear from me and the rest of the gang very soon. Be sure to check out Discography, Mark with the C's podcast series on the Consequence Podcast Network. A new season just started, and it's chronicling The Who, Mark's favorite band, and definitely one of my favorite bands. In fact, you can hear me on two of the forthcoming episodes. If you know the band, at least in part, then you'll get to really, really know them in this. And it's a fascinating and expansive story. And if you don't know them at all, then it's a great way to to learn about this extraordinarily influential music group. But what's so very, very special about this is that this depiction of The Who's chronology also includes all of the solo records, which is, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a massive undertaking that Mark has done. It's, it's truly wonderful. I, this is one of his finest works. And in terms of podcasting, this is like his magnum opus thus so far. And honestly, I think it's got to be among the greatest Who documentaries of all time and certainly the most thorough ever. So I think it's wonderful. I highly recommend it if you want to check that out. That's discography. And now I shall get out of your hair. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me on this always peculiar outing that is all caps. I will smell you later. On a bright night like tonight when nothing is yours and everything is yours. Listen to these words issued for they tell you.
up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.